Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 127 of How I Built It, the last episode of season six. I am so excited to talk to Susan Goebel today. Now, she is very different from the people I've talked to so far. She is a bioscience coach and expert. Uh, she has information on marketing intelligence. She works with uh, prescription companies, drug companies, to bring their new drugs to market. So she uh, has experience in the full stack from doing the lab work all the way up to lobbying governments. Uh, and everything in between. I thought this was such an interesting conversation. And while it doesn't directly relate to maybe small businesses, there's a lot of stuff to take away from this conversation. I could have kept talking to Susan for hours. I just find this super interesting and I hope you will too. So as we wrap up season six and go into a short break, I hope you really like this episode with Susan Goebel, which we'll get to in a minute, right after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Plesk. Do you spend too much time doing server admin work and not enough time building websites? Plesk helps you manage servers, websites, and customers in one dashboard, helping you do those tasks up to 10 times faster than manually coding everything. And let me tell you, I recently checked out their new and improved WordPress toolkit, and I was super impressed by how easy it was to spin up new WordPress sites, clone sites, and even manage multiple updates to themes and plugins. With the click of one button, I was able to update all of my WordPress sites. I was, again, incredibly impressed by how great their WordPress toolkit is. You can learn more and try Plesk for free at plesk.com slash build. That's plesk.com slash build. This episode is brought to you by Soshis, a hiring platform for web developers. If you need a pre-vetted and reliable developer or a team of developers for your project, Soshis will find the best candidates to get the job done. Save time and money on your development work and get a 40-hour risk-free trial period by signing up now at Soshis.com. That's S-O-S-H-A-C-E.com. And in case you're looking for a remote job, Soshis is currently hiring React, Node.js, and Angular developers. Work from anywhere in the world. Apply for a job now at Soshis.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that today? My guest is Susan Goebel, a 20-year veteran at bringing products to markets around the world and an expert in the bioscience business development. Uh, now, she's a consultant and coach in the bioscience field, and I'm excited to talk to her today about what it's like to bring products at that scale to millions of people, maybe. Susan, how are you today? I am good, Joe. I'm excited to be here as well. A lot of people don't understand the process of what it takes to bring that product to market. And I got to say, when you're sitting there at the dinner table and you're watching the news and people are going, look at this great thing that this scientist made. In my head, I'm thinking, oh, that's a good <laughs> 10 years away. <laughs> so let's learn about this. That's that is fantastic. I'm excited to talk about that because um, I I've gotten a little bit of insight. My father-in-law is um in the 
uh, R&D field for a large pharmaceutical company. And so he's told me what the process is like. Uh, but why don't we start with uh, a little bit about who you are and what you do? Oh, great. Okay. So 20 years, and I have had the the pleasure and the privilege, I would say, of spanning a whole bunch of different areas within my career. So I started out as a scientist, benchtop level, and then I moved from there to project management and from there running divisions, co-founded a company. It's been everything from lobbying to full commercialization, successes as well as failures. You've got to you got to remember and celebrate those just about as much as the wins and uh, and doing it across multiple regions around the world. Wow. So so you have basically run the gamut. You started off at, like kind of on the front lines, on the ground level as a scientist, and then you went up to lobbying. I am uh, really excited to hear about uh, a lot of that stuff. So um, today you are uh, kind of leveraging your background and your experience to help other people uh, bring new medical solutions to market. Is that right? That is right. And so there's a lot of people, whether they be doctors or veterinarians, who have the experience in clinic to go, you know what, I'm seeing a lot of whatever the problem is, and I think I have the best solution possible to help the health of my patient and give them the best quality of life. But I'm an MD or I'm a DVM. I don't know what it takes to take my product and make it a success. And that's where I come in. Nice. That's that's fantastic. And I think that's uh, an important aspect, right? You've got the uh, the the implementer, the person who is uh, creating this product. But uh, as a developer myself, I always find that there's a disconnect between me creating the product and then me being able to bring it to the right audience, which is which which can be difficult, especially when you're so close to the product, right? Oh, Joe, you are absolutely right. We get so emotionally invested. I've had a couple of my clients, they call it their babies, right? They're not the four-legged furry kind. They're not the two-legged kind. But, you know, these ideas, because they really, they come from the heart. Uh, A great example of this is that I had a colleague who was developing a really unique product, smart, smart guy out at the University of British Columbia. And he and his wife Uh, The wife was a pediatrician and she was encountering a number of kids whose kidneys were shutting down because of a bacterial infection. And she was lamenting one day about the, the life these poor kids have and how in some cases it's a very painful death. And what can we do about this? Well, the husband went out the next day and he goes for a run and on the run he has this aha moment. The bacteria that that's causing all this doesn't even come in humans it comes from cattle. So why don't we create a product to treat it in the cow? Then we don't ever have to get to the the human side of things and those kids can be safe. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. So uh, as close as I can be to the web applications that I create, uh, I imagine that the people who are coming up with life-saving technology or or breakthroughs um, are are a lot closer. Uh, So why don't we why don't we talk a little bit about your process, right? So you're um you you've had the experience of working kind of in the lab of talking to the people and the government organizations that you need to talk to to get this to market and now you're consulting with people through this process. What does that process look like? If I came to you with an idea today to say I've got this great idea that's going to be huge in in the medical field. 
Great question, Joe. That's awesome. Because if you came in and you said, I've got a, I've got a problem that I think I have a solution to, the first question I'm going to have to ask is, have you protected your idea? So have you patented it? Has Is it any sort of copyright, patent, industrial design? There's a whole bunch of things that we need to do. Or in the case of, say, Coca-Cola, which everybody's usually familiar with, do we just keep it a trade secret? Because patenting can be expensive. Mm-hmm. And so there's some thought process that needs to go into that and plan around that. And once you've gone past that stage, you've usually got an idea of the competitive market and where your product fits. And once you know that, then we can go on to go, okay, so if I have a solution to a specific problem and this problem I know I can solve, I know that, you know, there might be one or two competitors out there, but I believe that I have a better mousetrap then let's see if I can develop it. And now that can be a whole lengthy process in and of itself. Then let's see if I can develop it. Can I manufacture it at a larger scale? What are the regulatory compliance issues I'm going to have? And what country am I going to go into? Because that's different depending on the country that you want. As an example, Australia is an island. And so it's very protective about what it brings into its country. So you not only have to go through the regular regulatory approval processes, like in the US, uh, US, it'd be FDA, for example, or, you know, in Australia, you'd have to do the equivalent of the FDA plus an import security process as well. Gotcha. Wow. And all of that to say that sometimes in the case of the, the, um, the, the doctor that I told you about and the pediatrician, 10 years had passed by the time it got approved and the marketplace had shifted. And all of a sudden, you no longer have a place to put your product. Wow. So, so I mean, my, my father-in-law gave me a little bit of insight to this, but, you know, we talk about how expensive medical, uh, medical stuff can be. Stuff is, of course, the scientific term here. Uh, but um, 10 years getting patents, which are expensive, developing it, which is expensive, manufacturing and going through the government approval processes is expensive. And then by the time it gets to market, there's not even, there's nothing to do with it, right? So so what happens in that case? Once it's to market, you can't do anything with it. What do you do? You still have your patent or it's just back to the drawing board? Uh, well, that's a great question. Unfortunately, then the patent by that point in time, which has, depending on how you calculate it, a 17-year or 20, 21-year lifespan is already half gone. So in some cases, you can try when you have patents and experience to license it to somebody else. Um, you, you know, but you don't have a lot of patent life left. And if the market doesn't want it, unfortunately, it's not going to be a product that is going to be viable commercially. And so you have to go back to the drawing board. You have to work with whatever the evolution has become. And and I would say that for anybody listening to this, if they're spending the time to put that thought process in up front, that you also have to make sure you're keeping in touch with the market. You know how the shifts and the changes are going. So you know whether or not you need to make a shift or change yourself in the strategy and don't get too married to the strategy. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, right? And in I mean, this audience uh, traditionally is people who work on the web or uh, 
smaller scale physical products. Um, and we always talk about make sure to put out the as fast as possible the the minimum viable product. It's just it's simply not um, not feasible in this case. So, uh, is there things that you can do in your research process to maybe soften that blow or or make sure what you are bringing to market will uh, will be uh, accepted by the general population or will have a fit somewhere? There are things that you can do. And so I would say, you know, the, the fun part is, is that in real estate, they talk about location, 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 right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in, in planning and in pharma, I would say it's planning, planning, planning. You really need to put that thought process in upfront first, because if you're going to go down a pathway where, you know, in a hundred drugs, for instance, that may come to market, one will actually make it all the way through. And it's not a minimum viable product. You have to have full formulas and expectations. Whatever you're doing in the trials with with people, you're doing exactly that when the product is fully approved. So there there is no minimum viable product when it comes to when it comes to pharma. It's an entirely different beast for that. If you don't know what the various steps are and the processes are from a regulatory perspective and you haven't dotted your I's and crossed your T's or even know what those are, that's a problem. So step one, plan. Because you may find that there's something in that pathway that is a hurdle you can't overcome. Yeah, wow. And and uh, so let's actually back up a little bit because, uh, again, uh, what you're saying, uh, I've heard a little bit uh, about from um, my father-in-law. But if we're talking specifically about pharmaceuticals, um, there's like a whole long process, right? There's like the patent and the idea, and then there's the trials and the double-blind study. And the what, what's, what's kind of the, the path for a drug to make it to market? Well, let's take the example of the evening news. Mm -hmm. So you see the evening news. The evening news goes into a university, usually in a setting, and says, here's this researcher that's come up with this great idea. Okay. So in order to get to that great idea, there's probably been years of research alone. Uh, Maybe five years of research. Okay. So now we say that the scientist has the actual plan in place, and they've got say, a small molecule that they want to bring to market that's going to target a very specific disease. Okay. So now they're going to need deep pockets because the total process, from a dollar perspective, to bring a new drug to market, it can be upwards of, and I mean a B when I say this, a billion dollars. Wow. Now there are ways to make that not a billion dollars, but it's still going to be several hundred million dollars in order to bring that new product to market. And that's a lot of money. So next phase, go get some investing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're going to need people to come in and help you because it's a long process. Let's assume that you've gone in next and you've done a trial, proof of concept, small animal molecule in beakers, labs, whatever that needs to be, depending on the planning stages that you've done. Okay. So that's probably taken you another year. Now you've got proof of concept. And if you've made it past that stage, I want you to give yourself a really big pat on the back. Because at this point, half the products have failed. Wow. Out of those hundred. Okay. Yeah. Now, you've done that. Assuming you still have funds available, you can go into the second phase. But now you need any product that goes in 
really has to be your final formulation. Now you also have to be able to test all of the raw materials. You have to be able to test the final product, even something as simple, and this was a big eye-opener for me when I went into the manufacturing side, the water that gets used. You, you can't go out and use the tap water. You actually have to have water that meets very special requirements. Rooms that air is extremely clean. It's all about protecting the product so you can protect the person or the animal, wherever that's going. Okay, so let's say you make it through phase two. You've got all your I's dotted, all your T's have been crossed. Now you have to go into phase three. So phase three usually is your final licensing. And depending on what your indication is, now you're looking at another two to three years to finish the trial because you've got to recruit the patients, you've got to recruit the physicians, the clinicians, the veterinarians, whatever it winds up being. Probably at this point, you're down to about 20% that have actually made it through. So those 100 that you saw in the evening news, 20 have now made it this far. Now you're getting another three years. Now you have to go another year before the data comes in. And let's say that that's all you needed before you submit to the regulatory agencies. Depending on the agency itself, once you submit the document, the clock starts ticking. Um, different agencies, different time frames. In some cases, it could be six months. Uh, once upon a time in, in some countries, it was three years before you'll get wow. an approval. And if they ask a question, then the clock starts over once you submit your answer. So all of this time, so you've got a window there where you're not even doing anything. So that's where you want to start your marketing. You want to start your commercialization processes, your lobbying. Do you get your payments plans, your insurance companies, all these stakeholders on side and make sure it works. And then the day comes where you get your final yes or no from the regulatory agency. And that's where it's usually one or two out of the hundred that make it that far. Wow. Whew, I'm exhausted already. <laughs> and now I've got yeah. to go out and I've got to sell it. Yeah. Wow. So we're talking... Uh, yeah, about 10 years, maybe 10, 12 years uh, from like research to market, depending on how long it takes for the regulatory agency to come back, assuming they have no additional questions. Um, um, I've never seen that happen, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine they probably come back with several questions. Um, I had like questions on my first trademark, like, and that's like generally benign. Uh, so uh, I, I imagine that they are probably a lot more stringent. And you said maybe one to two uh, of those initial hundred drugs um, or uh, you know uh, products come to market. Uh, so, so the evening news here. I mean, they just hear a story and they want to report it, right? I mean, this is a little bit tangential, but uh, what we're seeing on the news—they're making it seem like it's so close, but it's a decade away. Well, and in a lot of cases, that's true, right? Now, you will see things on the news that talk about pharma products where they're finished the phase three trial, and that's when they're talking about it. Mm -hmm. So it really depends when the news report comes out. Are they talking about the basic research at the university or are they talking about the final product and the clinical trial results and all the great news pieces that have already taken place? So when you hear it on the news, you need to put some thought into where is it in the process? Is it right at the beginning or is it close to the end? 
And I, and I would add, having spanned both the human health world and the animal health world, that they are different again because mm-hmm. recruitment in human trials takes a lot more time. Uh, whereas if you wanted to develop a product for a herd of cattle or dairy cows or something, right, to, t- to treat some sort of a disease there, mm-hmm. that recruitment of the herd is usually more up to one or two stakeholders as opposed to each individual cow having an opinion. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That makes sense. And, and what does that, I mean, what does that look like when you're about, when you're ready to enter a trial? Like, is it, you talk to doctors and then they look for patients that fit and ask their patients? Yes. No, that's a very general process. There's mm-hmm. ethics yeah. boards and approvals sure. and regulators that all have stakeholders and involvement to make sure that anything that goes into people is as safe as it possibly can be and has had as much smart minds around the table to ensure that the thought process has gone into it. So there's no more uh, you know, accidental thalidomides or anything like that mm-hmm. coming out. Gotcha. That makes sense. And then are things like, I mean, uh, maybe this is a too specific of a question, but I'm just generally interested is uh, like the general mental health of the patient. Like if, if they are like too emotional, like I'll do anything uh, to help cure this disease, is that taken into consideration or uh, does the doctor usually kind of vet that before he presents an option to the patient? So that's a really great question, Joe, and, and not a lot of people ask that. So kudos to you. Oh, thanks. You know, uh, it's up to the physician who they enroll, but they are given a list of criteria. Mm-hmm. Here's the specifications. Here's the, if the patient is this, has this, go ahead and talk to them about it. And if they have this or that, then you need to exclude them. Gotcha. Gotcha. That, again, that makes a lot of sense. Um so we got uh, like a pretty high level overview. Maybe we actually got into some pretty good specifics here of uh, the process of bringing a product to market. Um, I haven't I haven't asked the title question yet, which is how did you build it? Um, but I feel like we're we're talking kind of in this nebulous space where uh, we're talking in the abstract, and I really do want to ask you about the lobbying side of things um, because this is. Uh, you know, I'm I'm in America, and we hear all sorts of things, mostly negative, about lobbyists, and and it's a very interesting process to me. So, could you uh, could you unpack that a little bit? Like, what does that look like? Sure, um, I'll take a step back, Joe, if I could, just to the manufacturing side, just for a moment. Yeah, you know, whether you're doing a drug or a biologic or a device, and those are very much three key terms in the industry because they have three different processes that are involved in them. It takes specialized experts in order to do each of those. So if you're doing a drug or you're doing a sterile device or you're doing something that needs fermentation capacity, each one of these is done very differently, and that's only a handful of a myriad of different ways to bring products to market. So it's it's a little tougher to say it's one or the other. Um, mm-hmm. I had worked on a project once where it was plastics manufacturing, and then you're embedding the drug directly into the plastic. 
So that's an entirely different process again, oh, wow. because now you've got molds and dyes and casts um, and you're doing an embedding and extruding and all of these sorts of processes. It has nothing to do with the fermentation or growing anything that makes it secrete or whatever, or collections and harvesting, which is very much a biologics process. Right. So I know we didn't get very much into that little nitty gritty detail, but there's certainly lots that can be done and and talked about uh, from that perspective. I had um, to go to your lobbying question, a very similar thought process, and I'm sure that you and I are not alone. Lobbyists, oh, I don't know. Are they good? Are they bad? Politicians, are they good? Are they bad? I don't know. But um, it was an eye-opening experience going in and being a registered lobbyist for a while to the amount of effort that these individuals who are the politicians actually do take and the care and and how hard they work. Um, I could not imagine doing their job at all. I would not want it. You know, we were up and we would go to the hill uh, for days at a time. So you're literally going to 15 minute power meetings and you've got, uh, you know, at least 10 of them booked in a day because we didn't live in the same town as, as the hill was. And so you're, you're literally got these 15 minute, assuming that nothing chaotic had gone on. So overnight, one night when we went up to lobby, there was the opposition party and the opposition party had decided that it wanted to throw something as a matter of parliamentary procedure in place all of a sudden your meetings are all gone because now the politicians are very much involved in the bureaucracy and and Mm. the infight and the, you know, what's this little piece mean and how does our party feel about it? And you're like, but I really would like to save some kids. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, we know. So we're going to do our best to try and, you know, walk with us, you know, and there's this building over here and that building over there. So you get these little 15 minute snippets as you're going from this place to that place. And you've got to get your elevator pitch down properly and be able to address the questions and develop the, you know, the, the key messages. And even though you're talking directly into the politician it's not likely the politician that you're going to be continuing to develop the relationship with. It's usually their chief of staff mm-hmm. or someone else. And so at the end of the day, uh, we had a product that after uh, five long years of lobbying, we were lobbying on one side. They were, we had another party that was lobbying on the other side. And that association had a much stronger lobby than ours did. So they won and we didn't get the funding. This episode is brought to you by Pantheon. Starting a new project? Looking for a better hosting platform? Pantheon is an integrated set of tools to build, launch, and run websites. Get high-performance hosting for your WordPress sites, plus a comprehensive toolkit to supercharge your team and help you launch faster. On Pantheon, you get expert support from real developers, best-in-class security, and the most innovative technology to host and manage your websites. You can sign up a new site in minutes with a free account. You only pay when it goes live. That is my second favorite feature to Pantheon, only to the easy ability to create dev staging and live servers and push to GitHub. It's very easy to set those things up on Pantheon. So you can head over to Pantheon.io today again to set up a free account. 
pay only when it goes live. Thanks so much to Pantheon for their support of this episode and this season of How I Built It. This is like a very tumultuous process that could basically fail at any moment. And I mean, you said it, right? 98%, if we're looking at 100 of these products, 98% are not going to make that make it to the market uh, because of, of something. Um, so let's, let's then talk about something that has made it to the market, right? So um, uh, it's, it's gone through the research, the trials, the investments, the lobbying. It's, it's now on the market. What's, what are the steps, you know, once uh, a medical product is approved and it, you can bring it to market? So if you're in the veterinary field, that's mm-hmm. pretty much it. Now you just need to go out and you need to sell it. You need to sell it to the associations. You need to understand the distribution channel. You need to get your message out there. And usually you're using your, you know, I've heard the different terms, alpha marketers or key opinion leaders, early adopters, these sorts of people Mm -hmm. in order to make that a success. On the human side of things, it can be a little more complicated because now you have insurance companies involved. So are they going to go through another approval process? Is the government going to pay? Is the insurance going to pay? Uh, how do you determine if you're selling the, the drug? And this is, this is always a fun one. If you're selling the drug in more than one jurisdiction, you need to make sure that you're following all the rules and you're not giving favoritism to one jurisdiction over the other because there's certain rules against doing that which is part of where the third world countries, they have so much trouble in paying for the the cost of the drugs because there are these strange barriers and rules that companies don't want to work around. They want to comply, but they also want to be able to save lives. Right. So, for example, you can't sell a drug in the United States for $1,000, but in third world countries, like $100 or something like that because it's more cost affordable or... Not unless there's some sort of an arranged special arrangement that would be government lobbying that would get that done. Uh, gotcha. Special funding. So if you had um, assistance with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, as an example, they do a lot of stuff in third world countries with uh, access to drugs and and whatnot. Um, yeah, you 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 know, lobbyists not all bad. <laughs> you know, each depending on on uh, the skill set, right? You've got to try your hardest in order to make a positive impact in the world. Uh, I was talking to a group of people one day and they were heading over to the United Nations to talk about antimicrobial resistance because there were certain things that some countries were doing that other countries were not. And they wanted it all to be as harmonized as possible, which is a very long process trying to get countries to agree, let alone getting politicians within one country to agree. Wow, yeah. (laughs) So it's wow. it's a fascinating process in and of itself, and it's certainly not straightforward. It's not like, um, you know, I'm launching a digital product called the Bioscience Boardroom. And in this product, it's a mastermind group. You know, I don't have to go through a lot of regulatory processes. It's about bringing this knowledge and expertise to people who really want to understand the process have an idea of something they've discovered that fits their their clinical application and solves a problem, but what do they do with it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and let's uh, let's talk about that a little bit because we are mostly digital builders here uh, in the How I Built It community. Uh, what do you know the platform that you're using for your digital product? Do you know any of the like? Are you using 
WordPress or Wix or are you using Teachable or anything like that? This was uh, not prepared, by the way. This is off the cuff. So if you did not do not know the answer to this, I, I wouldn't expect you to. <laughs> you know, in, in preparing some of this, I honestly think I'd rather go back to splicing DNA. It'd be a heck of a lot simpler than what you guys do, honestly. Um, ClickFunnels is what I'm using. I do have a website that's powered by Wix because I started out with the free version and thought, well, that's easy enough to do. And uh, I had tried WordPress in the past and I was not very good at it. It took me a day where I probably would have taken somebody who understood the terminology like five minutes to do mm. something simple. So it's been, uh, you know, a longer process than what I wanted. But yeah, you know, you, you, I've got these clients that have this problem. And when I talk to the business development experts and the people who are the angel investors for them, they go, but, you know, we get these people and they come in and they want to they pitch us their product, but they're not ready. They haven't put the thought into it. Okay, so now we have a blue ocean and... I have a skill set that I can fit to allow that understanding of this process. If I can provide a digital product, a place for them to go and get this information, then I can do my part as a business expert in this, in this field and in this area to move it along. So now you're doing the interviews and the building of the site and drafting the text and doing the beta testing. And, and oh my goodness, I really would rather bring a drug to market. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I am uh, a little bit glad to hear that as a web developer myself, because clearly you are much smarter than I am, but I'm glad that I have a skill set that, uh, that is valuable. Um, and, uh, that's, that sounds super interesting. So, um, I'll be sure to, uh, to link that in the show notes, um, and, and we'll get to where people can find you in a bit, but I do want to ask you, uh, kind of wrapping up, um, as you know, we've, we covered a lot of ground in about 25 minutes, right? Um, but we, and then we talked a little bit about what you do and how you did it. What, what are your plans for the future? Are you going, uh, all in on the, the bioscience boardroom? Are you going to continue to, um, kind of be boots on the ground for people bringing medical products to market? That's a great question, Joe. So I, I would love, my goal, frankly, with the Bioscience Boardroom, if I could, I would love to help 10,000 bioscience wannabes or entrepreneurs, inventors, to be able to have that understanding of this is what it takes to get from concept to commercialization. That would be my ideal goal and scenario, and I'm going to work hard to do that this year. Out of that, though, just like the 100 only became one, probably only a thousand of those would ever go on to do anything. And I respect mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And even out of that thousand, you know, if I could help a hundred of them to work a little more closely with me, like I do with my current products, my current clients to help their products get to market or be an out license or joint venture or whatever it is that needs to be able to positively contribute to animal and human health. I would love to do that. So I'm going to do both. I'm going to do the bioscience boardroom which is a lot of bringing experts and the, and the inventors together, as well as uh, continuing with my current clients and, and bringing their products to market to make sure that we can positively get people back to health as much as we, as much as we can, as well as animals. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. I really like the sound of that. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you my favorite question now, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us? 
Mmm, trade secrets. Oh my goodness. Shh. Don't tell anyone. Are you ready? I'm I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of really good free stuff out there on the web. Use that first <laughs> to do the planning. Awesome. Awesome. I uh, that's that is a really great piece of advice. There's a really lot of uh, there's a lot of really good free stuff on the web hey, to do the planning. Hey Joe. Hey Joe. Yeah. Should we tell your your listeners that that's true for any product they want to bring to market? <laughs> I think we should. That's true for anything. Look for the free stuff. Then you know what you need to pay for, right? Exactly. And do yeah. the planning. Do the planning. Know your competitive marketplace. Know where you fit. Know where your niche is. Know who your customers and your avatars are going to be. Know who your customers and your avatars are going to be. I think that's a, that is also a great piece of advice uh, because a lot of well, I don't I don't want to generalize the the folks in my field, so I'll speak specifically about myself. And I know other people feel the same way. Is I always took a very field of dreams approach to marketing. I'm going to build something good and then people will come. But um, that's that's simply not the case anymore. You need to understand who you're talking to and you need to talk to those people uh, because those people want to know that you understand them. Exactly. Really great advice. Did you hear that, everyone? Really great advice. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, you, you, uh, you said, hmm, trade secrets. And I really think I'm going to start adding like a ding when people say that in, in post-production because I, that's like my favorite part of the show where people go trade secret. Um, I just want to make like a compilation of that. So thank you. Uh, I didn't tell you to do that, but I'm, I'm sure glad you did. Uh, Susan Goble, thanks so much for joining me today. Where can people find you? Joe, thank you. It has been a pleasure. You are just a lot of fun to be around. Uh, you, you guys can can come over to the website. We'll put the link for it into the show notes, if that's okay. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Uh, yep. So for our listeners, I, I think I just want to make sure it's susangobel.ca slash how I built it is the URL I have. Of course, it will be uh, in our show notes over at howibuilt.it as well. Susan, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate that. I want to thank Susan again for joining me uh, on this last episode of season six. Again, I super duper. I mean, I don't know if you could tell during the interview, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, she, I just love hearing about the process. Um, you know, we talked a bit about how she built her marketing website and some of the tools she's using there. Um, and then her trade secret is something really important for everybody. That's I, I think that everybody can can take away from that, uh, which is know your customers and your avatars. Create a customer avatar. Uh, in development, we call them user stories. Who is the perfect person? The one person you're talking to. I think that's really important. And so my question of the week for you is, what is one customer avatar that you want to create? Let me know by emailing me joe at howibuilt.it or on Twitter at jcasabona. I want to thank my sponsors for this week. Uh, those sponsors are Soshi's, Plesk, and Pantheon. In particular, I want to thank Plesk and Pantheon because they sponsored the entire season. And so, um, you know, all of my sponsors make this show possible, but the 
uh, backing that Plask and Pantheon gave me uh, helped me take this show to the next level by hiring a new editor and a new transcriber and really do things uh, well. So I hope to continue to grow this show for next season, season seven. We're going to take a few weeks off, a, a little bit of a break. I might release one or two bonus episodes in that time, but you could look for season seven to launch at the beginning of July. Uh, so if you liked this episode, feel free to share it with a friend or family member. Uh, and until next season, get out there and build something. <laughs>